0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu. With your favorite reality TV shows in one place, Hulu is the home for reality TV's biggest fans. Start your free trial today. Learn more at Hulu.com.
1: Welcome to Pop Culture Happy Hour, NPR's roundtable podcast about what we are watching, reading, and listening to. I'm Linda Holmes. I'm the editor of NPR's pop culture and entertainment blog, Monkey See. This week, we'll talk about the new fall drama, This Is Us, and the new fall comedy, Speechless. And as always, we'll close the show with what's making us happy this week, so stick around.
2: Take Pop Culture Happy Hour and more with you with the NPR One app. NPR One finds you the best from public radio and beyond. Surprising interviews, local stories, and your favorite podcasts. NPR One is ready to make driving, holiday shopping, or cleaning the house better. Find NPR One on your app store now
1: before we get started here in Historic Studio 44, let's go around the table. Stephen Thompson, what do you do at NPR? I am
2: a writer and editor with NPR Music.
1: And Glenn Weldon, what do you do at NPR?
2: I write about books, comics, and other stuff for the
3: NPR website.
1: And with us for our first segment on today's show is Ari Shapiro. Ari, what do you do at NPR?
3: I host All Things Considered, and funny enough, for the second half of this show, I'm also going to be a host of All Things Considered, but I'm not going to be Ari Shapiro. That's (laughs) right, exactly.
1: will be taking a different form and we will see how that goes.
3: Wait, should we just tell people because if people decide, ugh, I hate Ari I'm not going to keep listening to this episode, maybe they should know that halfway through this episode none other than Audie Cornish is going to tag out. That's right. And So you could just fast forward if you don't like me.
1: Well, fortunately we were able to get one of them each to talk about each of the shows (laughs) on our agenda this week. First up this week, it's tough these days for broadcast networks to launch new hits in this crowded landscape that they're facing. Crowded landscape, see how I worked that in there? It's modern talk. Uh, But NBC has had a rare score with This Is Us, a pretty traditional family drama in a lot of ways. It follows three adult siblings, Kate, who's played by Chrissy Metz, Kevin, who's played by Justin Hartley, and Randall, who's played by the wonderful Sterling K. Brown, who's having a very big year after starring as Chris Darden in FX's The People vs. O.J. Simpson series. It also flashes back to follow the lives of their parents, Rebecca and Jack, who are played by Mandy Moore and Milo Ventimiglia. Uh, You might have heard us talking about Milo Ventimiglia on last week's uh, Gilmore Girls show. Uh, And when the three of the kids were little, is when these flashbacks take place. The show was created by Dan Fogelman, who also created Pitch This Fall, which is the Fox baseball show, and uh, who also worked on the films uh, Crazy Stupid Love, and Tangled and a bunch of other things. Got a very interesting resume. Oh, I made Gallivant as well. Gallivant as well. Interesting guy. Now, Ari, uh, did you follow This Is Us from the beginning, or did you? Somebody recommended
3: that I watch the pilot. So at the beginning of the first episode, you know you're following these four people who all have their 36th birthday on the day you're watching. And it's only at the very end that you learn that one of those four people is the father of the other three. And I thought, oh, this is so emotional and moving. And sure, there are a few little cliche Hackney moments, but I was, you know, like misty eyed anyway. And I was like how is this going to work for episode after episode after Mm -hmm. episode for a whole season? And my husband and I kind of binge watched the season. And literally at the end of every episode, I would turn to him and he would be like,
2: he's not a big
3: weeper. Like he's not a a super emotional person. This is probably the only show I've ever seen him watch Not at altitude, because when you're on an airplane, you cry at anything. Everybody knows that. But at ground level, at sea level, where like episode after episode after episode, he was like, it's just so
1: emotional. He's the one whose mother was so into Olympus Has Fallen. (laughs) Wow, you have a good memory. I remember that. Wow. Uh, Do you like it?
3: I love it. And I was actually thinking today, you know what it reminds me of, which might sound like a strange comparison, but the hours. Which oh, interesting yeah which was this first, that. of course, novel and then movie that jumps back and forth between different stories and the stories sort of inform each other, some in more literal and explicit and some in more thematic, implicit ways. But something about being able to see these characters relating to each other as young kids and also as adult siblings and being able to see their parents struggling with issues that then, 30 years later, you see the kids struggling with analogous issues. I think the ways in which the show talks about you know, being the black kid of white parents or being overweight and trying to lose the weight or some of the things that might not be so new, but this show talks about it in sort of more thoughtful, valuable ways than I have seen network dramas talk about before. It feels sincere without being way, way, way too soapy earnest. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just works for me.
1: Great. All right. Uh, Glenn, where are you coming down on the show?
3: Uh, I got about four
4: episodes in, and I wrote this in my notebook. Ari, you want to read this thing that's in the box right here? (laughs) Why don't I hate this? I get
3: that.
4: I was almost out many, many times. I was almost out with, I mean, as you mentioned, Ari, at about the 48-minute mark, you can set your watch to when it's going to just aim straight for your amygdala. And I find that uh, unseemly, for for, for one thing. (laughs) It's trying too hard. Let's talk about, we can't spoil too much, but there's a character named Miguel. He's got some old age makeup. It's terrible. Yeah, um, it's not good. The relationship between the character of William, who is the biological father of the uh, the kid named Randall, played by Sterling K. Brown, has this relationship with uh, Rebecca, the mother, played by Mandy Moore, mm-hmm. that is so tortured and I think goes over to the top of soapy, It's just it's being rung a little bit too hard in a way that not a lot of the other relationships are. It's way too early to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. We have a character with alcoholism or at least alcohol issues that is being treated right now in a very TV alcoholic way. Yeah. In a very kind of we see him drinking too much and then there's a discussion and it's just it's too tidy. Mm -hmm. Um, Kate's laser like focus on her weight. I like that the fact that I'm seeing it. I'm not loving the fact that it's all I'm seeing of her. And finally, this show has a thing where, I mean, this is broadcast, right? Broadcast means it doesn't have to be everything to everybody, but it wants to be many things to most people. Yeah. And so there's a lot of characters explaining their motivations. Uh So
3: after all that, I'm curious how you answer your question in the big box. I'm getting to that. Okay. (laughs) Getting to that. Getting to
4: that. Uh, But. But I forgive the explaining the motivations to a certain extent because that feels like, and I'm basing this on nothing, that feels like network notes, where you mm-hmm. have a character mm-hmm. like Randall, who is obviously being shaped by this need for perfectionism. We can see it in the performance. We can feel it in the story. Mm-hmm. We don't need him to tell us that, and yet he tells us yeah. that. The relationship between Randall and his wife Beth, played by Susan kalechi Watson, he is perfectly natural yes. and unforced mm-hmm. and absolutely funny. And I keep coming back to this, not just because of the abs and not just because of the shoulders, but for <laughs> but factor. the factor the performance of Justin Hartley, who surprises me as the character uh, Kevin, who is an actor. And he is doing something that's very tough to do. He's coming off as sweet but self centered.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, kind of dumb, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but emotionally intelligent. So he's a narcissist uh, who can read a room.
1: That's interesting. He's
4: the kind of narcissist who always wants to be loved, so he's not... Uh, yeah. fatuous and blind to what other people think of him. He is so keyed into that. It's not
1: that. the least accurate actor <laughs>
4: description no. stereotype, I've ever no, no,
1: no. seen. I mean, I think, yeah.
4: The show this reminded me most of, at uh, people talk about Parenthood. I didn't see Parenthood, but I did see 30-something. And 30-something mm-hmm. gets mm-hmm. dumped on a lot for being just uh, you know, 30-something white people uh, emoting too much. I kind of loved that show when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I saw it in reruns all the time. And that's the, the slot that it fills for yeah. me. So, you know, will I keep going? Episode after episode after episode I'm not sure, but I don't hate this. And I'm surprised
2: that I don't.
1: Interesting. How about you, Steven? Where are you coming down?
2: All right. Any time you have a piece of entertainment that is revolving around a large cast and is trying to tell the complete story of many different people and and jumping around from person to person to person. Some of those characters are going to get short shrift, and some of them you're going to sit there just waiting for them to come back on screen. And I think that the effect of this show, jumping from character to character, makes these, you know, after commercials are cut, what, 42-minute episodes, really fly by in a way that I found very ingratiating, makes the show very bingeable. Several of those performances I particularly love. I love, as you said, Glenn, Sterling K. Brown. I could watch The Randall Show mm-hmm. uh, just every week and, and, and never stop. I think the portrait of that marriage is wonderful. I'm very moved by the relationship with his long-estranged father. I really like that actor, Ron Cephas Jones. I'm really in it for that story. But then the other characters, to varying degrees, the way they are treated bugs the. Hell out of me, in a way that makes this show very, very uneven for me. The music, I think, is wonderfully chosen. You have a nice mix because you're talking about different eras. You've got your modern stuff with like Sufjan Stevens and Maria Taylor. Uh, You've got older stuff with your Nick Drake and Cat Stevens. It's predictable choices, but really nice choices. Uh, It's very
1: Thompsonian music. It's very Thompsonian music.
2: I like to think I could have been the music supervisor. I was actually watching it. I was Mm -hmm. like,
3: I'm glad I'm going to be sitting in the studio Mm -hmm. with Steven talking about this because I want to hear him talk about this music.
1: The, it's the it's the melancholy side of Thompsonian music.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no Andrew WK, no yeah. Japan droids. <laughs> all d sad, sad, bastard, sad, uh-huh. sad bastards with acoustic guitars. The character of Kate, played by Chrissy Metz, I think is a very, very problematic construction on this show. And I, I like the actress. I think the character is, is, is likable, but the people writing the character and the vision of the character for the show does not extend beyond the fact that she is overweight. She is introduced to us falling off a scale. Later on in the show, there's this thing where Kevin, self-centered actor, is talking about his, his family and he says, I've got, the, you know, he's really just reading like the plot description of the show.
0: I'm not spending Thanksgiving in New Jersey meeting the walking slices of Wonder Bread responsible for this.
3: Okay, Wonder Bread. Wow. All right. You are way off, sister. My family is, uh, we're like whatever the most interesting kind of bread would be. You know, we're like multigrain bread, except we're not that healthy. We're like, uh... We would be ciabatta bread. That's what we are. Check this out. And I have a twin sister who is seriously overweight, and I have an adopted black brother who just recently reconnected with his biological father who is dying now. Don't you want to see that up close, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and first yeah. of all, I'm thinking, like, who would introduce
2: someone they love that way? Especially when you could say, like, the only thing that she has besides her weight is this very codependent relationship with Kevin like she has been his personal assistant he could have said she's been my personal assistant no she says she's overweight and then at another point she says she says I've got all these issues I need to work on it's not just the weight uh, it's all sorts of things I have it's all well there's the weight <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: and you really realize like what short shrift that character has been given when I mean she has a love life There there are all these things they could do with her that are not entirely monomaniacally focused on what they clearly see her as.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I read an interview with Chrissy Matz, with the actress, in which she said that this character was uh, based in part on Fogelman's sister. And I don't know if that's true. You know, I don't know how true it is, but that's what she said in an interview. I find this character, you know, as Ari said and Glenn said, I'm certainly glad they're doing it it's mm-hmm. ser- it's not really a story that you typically see at all right she's not a grotesque she's not a person with no humanity to her at the same time i sort of feel like they want too much credit for the fact that she has any humanity at all and i feel like they sort of want it to be like she's a person She's a normal human being. Give us our Humanitas prize. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> I don't necessarily feel like that's warranted. And and like Steven, I'm frustrated. And obviously the story is very personal f- to me, but I I think it is frustrating that it's the only thing about her because the weird thing is that's one of the traps, right? right. One of the traps is this is the only thing about me. This is the only thing. And and in fact, the funny thing is I personally think if you're in that situation, it's uh, it's very dangerous to think that. And I think for her, if she were this obsessed with it to the exclusion of everything else, it actually makes it much harder. Because what happens is then you're dealing with like, if you think this is the only thing about you, then you're dealing with like a loss of identity and your brain will protect you from that. And that's one of the things that would make it so hard for her. And if I believed that down the line, the show was going to get there, that would be one thing. I'm not sure it is going to get there. And in the meantime, Stephen mentioned her love life. I would like to represent for the fact that I do not like that boyfriend
2: <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> and Poor Toby. the funny
1: okay, – so here's the thing. She is uh, a big woman. Toby is a great big man. And – the funny thing is she met him in exactly the same way they meet on Mike and Molly. Mm-hmm. And the way that that happens is they think, who would ever want to date this great big woman? Oh, it would be a great big man. Where would a great big woman and a great big man meet each other? At a great big people's meeting. <laughs> so they meet at essentially Weight Watchers or something like that. Mike and Molly on Mike and Molly met on at Overeaters Anonymous. It's like, <laughs> it's just so funny to me because that is not the way the world works. There's this feeling that... To the people writing a show like this that's justice right it's like who could we suggest would presume to date this woman <laughs> only this dude and i don't feel like they made any effort in the show to justify why she would date him except that he was willing to date her mm. and so he's obnoxious i don't think he's particularly warm i don't think he's particularly funny i think the character thinks he's funny I don't think he's funny. I never believed for a minute that she was attracted to him. I never believed for a minute that she wanted to sleep with him for any reason except that he was willing to sleep with her and she was unhappy about being alone. I never believed that she was attracted to him at all. And I feel like they have a very like pal-like relationship, except that they both really want to be in a romantic relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. So I do not like that story at all,
2: I know people don't like Toby. I kind of like Toby, and no, I don't think like Toby. okay, part of it is I like that actor. Boo! I he he not I li- the actor. I like I like that actor. Uh, he's in the first couple episodes of Stranger Things. Okay, I saw him in a stage production of Hades Town where he played Orpheus. I thought he was very mm. good, so I like him. I think part of his his role, and I think the only thing I that really bothered me about him is that he seems to be the only character on the show that gives her any opportunity to interact with humor. They they, they they let the Sterling K. Brown Randall character gets to be funny. He yeah. gets these riffs. He's he is a 360 degree right. character. Kevin has all this stuff about the sitcom that he used to be on. Right. I'm not fully on board with Kevin, but I, they certainly give him opportunities to be funny. Yeah. She has no opportunities to be funny. Yeah. She at least gets to find him. Funny.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I do want to just touch on the fact that while I'm talking about how the fact that I, that story drives me crazy, I do want to say I agree with everybody else. I would watch The Randall Show Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. single week. I think that story is so powerful. He is so good. Ron Cephas Jones is so good. Um, I love both of those performances. The relationship between Randall and his wife is the first thing on television to scratch my Eric and Tammy Taylor itch from Friday Night Lights, which <laughs> is very, very difficult. That was maybe my favorite marriage ever on television. It's a wonderful relationship, and I really love that.
3: Aspect. So, what I'm getting here is that nobody else at this table had a tear seep from their eye <laughs> in even one episode of this show. Is that I what got, I'm getting here? I have I not
1: am, cried at this show. I, I am, am
3: kind of at
2: perpetually at 30,000 feet. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, crying wise. That's I'm, true. I'm, I am. I cry at everything. That's I think. I, I think I've mentioned I mean this before, but I think I cried at the end of Hop.
3: <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I, even so, this didn't do it for no, you. No, I, I I welled up at
2: various points. For one thing, I really found the relationship between Randall and his biological father Ron Cephas Jones to be very, very, very moving. And I, I and I've just found in general, like anything Ron Cephas Jones said, I kind of pulled into the screen a little tighter and the music it is plucking your nose hairs (laughs) it is doing work to make you cry
3: I also find Mandy Moore's performance especially in the later episodes of the season where she is this mother who is trying really hard to make good decisions and making some really not very good decisions and you see it In the moment she's making these decisions and 30 years later as she's dealing with the repercussions of those decisions, I think it's an incredibly sympathetic character Mm -hmm. and performance. And, you know, having been in college during the Mandy Moore teeny bopper (laughs) candy Mm -hmm. music Uh years to see her in this show... Being so compelling is kind of surreal and kind of wonderful.
2: She is good. I, I I like her. Linda, you're a Gilmore Girls person. I missed the Gilmore Girls talk. Were you distracted by Jack, the, the dad played by Milo Ventimiglia? He's Jess from Gilmore Girls? Yeah. Uh, I talked to Jessica Reedy, our producer, before this taping, and she was saying, like, I just couldn't do it with that guy. I just, I'm just i just watching Jess from Gilmore Girls.
1: No, I like him. It's It is not an entirely dissimilar performance in some ways. It's a little bit of the same, like, ingratiating but kind of Kind of like faux broy dude who's deep down sensitive. What do you what are you thinking, Glenn?
4: I think, as a lot of people have written about, nobody had that body in 1980. That body did not exist in 1980. He would he would have been a a weightlifter in 1980. Yeah, (laughs) it's the only way that 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 happens. I don't have a strong reaction to uh, the Jack character because I don't think he's being painted particularly clearly yet. But there's time.
2: Yeah. Do you feel like the character design was patterned after Oscar Isaac and Show Me a Hero? He looks like Oscar Isaac and Show Me a Hero's like kind of grubby little brother.
3: <laughs> it's the hair. yeah, the hair. St- well and the stash. And the, stash. And the, stash. Stash. And the yeah. stash.
1: I really like the beard and mustache look. I'm not crazy about the stash only look. No. I do on balance, I want to make sure that on balance I, I say I do really like it. I do admire it. I think like Steven said a lot, of the music's wonderful. It's just uneven for me. Yeah. And and uh, and I will be curious to see where they go with it. And again, I want to hear what all you guys think of it. So find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. Ari Shapiro, thank you so much for being with us on Pop Culture Happy Hour.
3: always a pleasure.
1: All right. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit
0: about Speechless. So come right back.
3: And I'll be Audie Cornish. (laughs) Nice. (laughs)
0: Support for Pop Culture Happy Hour comes from LearnVest. LearnVest is an online financial advice company focused on empowering people nationwide to make smart decisions with their money. If you want to know how aggressively to pay down your student loans, LearnVest can help with that. If you want to know how much you should put aside for saving or contributing to your retirement account, yep, they're on it. They'll create a custom financial plan. Plus, they pair you with a financial planner to help keep you on track. To see a sample plan and get a $50 credit, go to LearnVest.com happy.
1: Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. You know, before we get to our next topic, we had the most magical thing happen mm. during the break. Ari Shapiro turned into Audie Cornish. Audie, what do you do at NPR? I am also a host at All Things Considered. It's just the most remarkable transformation. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably the better dressed
5: host <laughs> yeah. of the two that you've had
1: today. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Honestly, you're both natty as anything. Yeah, I can say that because he's not here now. Yeah. Well, uh, we brought Audie in, in part because Audie is... uh, Well, first of all, because Audie's Audie's best family, really. Audie's family. Thank you. But also because Audie has uh, seen the ABC comedy Speechless. It's very much part of the ABC family comedy brand. It stars Minnie Driver and John Ross Bowie as a couple that has three kids, the oldest of whom, JJ, has cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair. And a lot of the early Stories involve the family's move to a new house, in large part, uh, so that JJ can be set up at school in a good situation for him. He's nonverbal, and at this school, he can have a new aide at this uh, school who works with him there. And so, it, in a lot of ways, it is kind of your basic family sitcom in setup. It also, I would say, follows a kind of a trend at ABC of having these family sitcoms that represent, you know, stories that they feel like are not being told, whether it's blackish or fresh off the boat or, you know, going back to the middle. I would say also um, Modern Family, when it came on, although now it feels so much more conventional than it did Mm -hmm. when it came on. So I'm going to go uh, actually over to Audie first since uh, since we brought her in here and turned Ari into her, especially for this conversation. Audie, you've been watching Speechless. What do you think?
5: Well, it's interesting. We actually interviewed the show creator, Scott Silveri, and he talked about the fact that um, his older brother had cerebral palsy. And so this story has been sort of in the back of his mind forever to do something yeah. about a family. And he said that, you know, his brother is the person who affected him the most in his life and that he had never had a conversation with him because his brother is nonverbal. So I think it's really intriguing that the show also tries to do this, which means you've got to mine some comedy... Out of like conversations that are not being had verbally, right? Um, the way they do it on the show, the character he has like a screen that he can like point out words, and right. there is actually like jokes that come from people reading things off the screen, yeah. and right. he's sarcastic and he's like a little bit biting, and there's there's there are arguments in the family that yeah. happen this way, and I I think it works, you know, I think one of the things he said is that he didn't want a ramp of the week show where yeah. basically there's not a wheelchair ramp at this place and there's not access at that place and we're yeah. all outraged about that. And for someone who grew up with the show Life Goes On, Patti Lapone, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that show was very much like about the like outrage and living with a disability and the family is always like kind of on the march and this isn't quite that. This is definitely more in the like Roseanne very much so. It is. Field yeah. of vision in terms of sitcoms um, not married with children but definitely that kind of like doubt in the heels look at us we're doing the best we can and we don't care what anybody thinks attitude yeah. and I think that's actually really interesting and uh, yeah. one of the better sort of angles of, of the show.
1: And the accommodations that they make the things that, that JJ needs cost a lot of money and they're open about the fact that this is where a lot of the family's financial resources are going and that it affects you know how they live and there's a lot of the entire show opens with a bit where they are racing in the minivan to use a coupon before it expires and they make a kind of a funny family racing down the street bit uh, Stephen, you talked about this show and you're making me happy. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you feel about it?
2: Yeah, I like it a lot. And In the previous segment, we talked about how Kate on This Is Us has really given this one characteristic, and and the show doesn't really give her a personality beyond that. I think the first brilliant move this show makes is it really gives J.J. a fleshed-out character. He's sarcastic. He's right. funny. He's interested in girls. He's, he's a teenager, and is constantly making mischief with the little dialogue board through which he speaks with with the help of, of an aide or members of his family. And I think that decision right there is so smart. Like, as, as you you can read off the characters on this show and name a bunch of characteristics about them and personality traits and how they fit with other members of the family in a way that I found really appealing. And, and I think, you know, Audie referenced Roseanne. And I think this show feels like such a spiritual descendant of Roseanne in a bunch of ways. They live in a dumpy house. They have difficult, uh, sometimes hostile relationships with the neighbors and other authority figures. They will mine humor from family attempts to extract favors and benefits from the fact that J.J. has a disability, which gives the show a little undercurrent of darkness. And It's not just light family comedy. I, I think the way that they're able to make a complete and messy and kind of dirty in the grubby sense. Story out of this family I just find really appealing and I found the show very, very bingeable for one thing. I just blazed through it. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, a little bit of full disclosure up front. I kind of know John Ross Bowie who plays the father mm-hmm. on the show. I was a big admirer of his book. He wrote a book about <laughs> Heathers, about his, you know, sort of relationship to the movie and about the film itself. And uh, so I admire that book very much and we've gotten kind of to know each other. I met him briefly at the Now here This Festival. Yes, I we remember. saw him. Yeah, we yeah. saw him. Yeah. So what I'm about to say might sound like it is colored by my positive disposition <laughs> toward him. Sure, yes. uh, however, that dude is what holds the show together. Mm-hmm. The subtext of the show is about how these people don't necessarily know how to be together without J.J. Their lives have been transformed by J.J.'s presence. Yeah. And in one episode, or well, actually a couple, his absence, when he when he pairs up with the uh, aide, uh, played by Cedric Yarbrough, they have to kind of renegotiate their relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And Those relationships are fraught because right now, the kids are great, the kids are funny, but the son is all neuroses, the -hmm. daughter is all anger, and Minnie Driver is a force of nature. Minnie Driver, as the mother, is very, very intense, blistering, and you need that to kind of keep... She's so
1: funny, though. She's She's very funny, funny. that's what I'm
4: saying. And you need that to keep it from going off the edge of sentimentality, but you also need somebody to rein that in, somebody to be chill. And what they're doing very, very smartly is they constantly pair the dad off with one character at a time mm-hmm. to A, delineate these characters and, and let them kind of grow and, and, and show a little bit more of themselves than they're just one note. I'm a neurotic kid. I'm an angry young kid. It's very, very important for them to feel like a family, for them to be brought together in a way. We don't talk about broadcast television a lot on the show because broadcast television delivers what it, promises right that's that's what much it has to time. do much, much of the time I will always gravitate towards something like uh, search party flea bag, chewing gum where the organizing principle as we talk about is not to ingratiate itself on you mm-hmm. but to be this set sort of spikier thing uh, that said I, I really enjoy this show I think it's very funny yeah. although
5: on your list were any families on your list? Those were all found families, friend families. Yeah, well there and there true. are
1: other ones like Transparent and things sure. like sure. that that are yeah. family shows, but they have that same quality of they're more openly, I think, trying to be abrasive and things like that and, and kind of the challenge is more is more placed forward. And I I think I would push back against the idea that he's holding the show together in the sense that I think there are a lot of really wonderful things about mm-hmm. that show. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that, because I do think Mini Drivers' performance in this show Sets a lot of the tone for how the family functions. And one of the things that I love about her performance is that I think the show is very honest about the fact that on the one hand, she makes the comment in the first episode that that J.J. has exactly the right mom. But they're also very open about the fact that sometimes the things that she does not only are hard on her other kids, but are also hard on him hard on the school, but they do, as you as you say, require sometimes the intervention of her husband to kind of rein that in in whatever way. But back to kind of what Stephen was saying, I think what I like about the J.J. story is that we talked about Kate, and one of the things I said is it's one thing for her to be always a person who's dealing with her weight, and it's another thing for her to be only a person who's dealing with her weight. I think they do a good job on this show with the fact that J.J. is always somebody who uses a wheelchair, and it a lot of the stories that they tell about him. Are inflected through that right and seen through that lens to some degree, but that's not the only thing you know about him. And like Stephen said, you know his attitudes about a bunch of different things. You have a pretty sophisticated understanding if you watch the show of his feelings about his mom and his siblings and school and girls and all that stuff, because they've made him nonverbal, but in no way noncommunicative. Right, right? and that's very important. And it's important that the show understands that, but. There's a bunch of stuff about the show that has nothing to do with that, that I think is wonderful and really well-formed. I really like the way that John Ross Bowie's character interacts with the kids in this mm-hmm. way that's kind of frank and friendly, but also still dad-like. And the funny thing is... This is the first sitcom I've ever seen that has a dad on it who the way that he relates to his kids reminds me this much of some of the things I like about the way that Stephen relates to his kids. Mm. The scene where the, the dad takes the son, the younger son, out to watch cars bottom out at the bottom of this hill and scrape their mufflers on the ground. I'm not saying you would do that. right? But that kind of friendly, kind of conspiratorial excuses to spend time with the kids during which you give them advice. Mm-hmm. It's a really well-thought-out relationship, I think.
2: Yeah, a, a trick I actually got from my own father. And I, I saw not only bits of my own relationship with my kids, but bits of my relationship with my father yeah. and uh, who who also did not care what anybody thought. And yeah. that also informed our, our, our relationship. It's interesting. I, I, I rail a lot against... Big dumb dad yeah. characters in sitcoms, even ones I love, like The Simpsons, where dad is always a hapless buffoon, and they give him opportunities to be hapless or silly or incapable. But there's this confidence to it and there's just such a, there's this great little recurring thing about him n- wanting naps. Yeah, It just feels he just feels so relatable to me. Well, he's chill.
5: You know, he's not lazy or hapless. He's just a chill guy with a wife who is not chill, mm-hmm. you know, and you need the both of them to make the family work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really nice to see like a marriage like that on TV as well.
1: I think their marriage is, very, is a, a strong element of the show too.
5: You know, in research The interview with the creator, I hit upon some blog posts about something I had never thought about or heard of, which is a quote unquote inspiration porn. Mm -hmm. And it's this (laughs) idea that people with disabilities are depicted doing everyday things or maybe extraordinary things like running or whatever, depending on the disability and like put on a poster, you know, and the implication is like, stop complaining, normative person, because it could be worse. You could be that person. And like how much people really resent that. You know, Mm -hmm. even though it's ostensibly something that's supposed to be positive. Mm -hmm. And I really thought about that. I now have that lens on when I'm looking at all kinds of things. And I really appreciated that the show sort of brought this into relief for me. You know, that like the family and the situation they're in, there's never an element of like you're so brave, which I think comes to a lot of products like this, including shows that I've really loved in the past Um, not to be mean about it but like Parenthood which I loved a lot but like the way they talked about this son having autism in that show I mean the music like always swelled like anytime he did anything Mm -hmm. Um, and the mom always had tears in her eyes like almost all the time and I mean I didn't mind that because I spent most of watching Parenthood crying but like now you know I have a sort of different lens in looking back uh, on those things that I loved and in looking forward um, yeah. At at shows that are gonna like tell this kind of story,
1: yeah, and I think a lot of that is where you get that relationship between JJ and the aide, who's who's right. uh, the Kenneth, who's played by Cedric Garbro. I think, and
5: we should say JJ is played by Micah Fowler, yeah, uh, who also has cerebral palsy mm-hmm. and is incredible. <laughs> like it really makes the show work.
1: Yeah, and that's I think that relationship between those two guys is really specific and really again kind of has a conspiratorial edge mm-hmm. to it. They sometimes have conflict. They spend a lot of time together. Well, There's he's our a window into the character, right? right? Like right. he's
5: the guy who doesn't he started out the groundskeeper on the show and then became the aide. And right. so he is our way of starting from getting right. the 101 He's sort of the right. viewer
1: surrogate yeah. into this, he's family, meeting the for family. One thing. And yeah. I and I think That relationship has so many nice aspects. There are kind of subtle, not entirely explained conflicts between them about trust and issues that they have about, you know, if we're going to be in this very close relationship that really is very closely collaborative, um, if nothing else, that – You have to develop trust in certain ways, and you have to decide what's okay and what's not okay inside that relationship, which I think has been really cool. One way in which I think this fits this family of ABC comedies, in addition to the fact that they have a kind of a similar rhythm and shooting style and all that stuff, I think they have a kind of a look to them in the same way that CBS sitcoms have come to have a look to them. But also, if you look at Blackish, and if you look at Fresh Off the Boat, and if you look at this, those are all. Really good, funny sitcom moms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whether it's Constance Wu on Fresh Off the Boat, or Tracy Ellis Ross on Blackish, or uh, Mini Driver on this show, they're exceptionally good. Not just like the mom is not just sitting around rolling her eyes and being like, "Oh, honey," you know. <laughs> they're all moms that are really strongly, kind of uh, idiosyncratically funny yeah. um, in ways that I that I like a lot.
4: And the show's still got a lot of room to grow. I mean, one humble suggestion I would make is you got Jonathan Slavin plays Mr. Powers, uh, who is in the school. Yes. Uh, Jonathan Slavin played Phil on a great little show called Better Off Ted. He gets one or two lines this episode. You gotta you throw some more work that guy's <laughs> way. And, I,
1: and it's so interesting how they decided that the school, instead of the school being a place where J.J.'s greatest frustration was that people were, like, mean to him or didn't <laughs> understand, they've gone this totally <laughs> other direction where J.J. goes to this school that's kind of, like, super progressive, and so what he gets this celebrates
2: the, him for nothing. The other kids yeah, have been it's kind
1: the of... the
5: soft bigotry of low expectations. It, it is,
1: and it's the soft bigotry of, like, the first day he gets to school, they're like, we're going to make you class president. Like, not just the <laughs> school, but the other kids have yeah. been kind of inculcated with this idea. And it's such a funnier, more interesting yep. idea than just, you know, nobody thinks about what he needs, like what Audie said about the kind of the ramp of the week situation. All right. Well, again, I want to hear what all of you think about Speechless. If you have seen it, if you enjoy it, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, PCHH, and tell us what you think. When we come back, it's going to be time for our favorite segment of this week and every week, what is making us happy this week. So come right back.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sock Club, delivering a wonderful gift experience. Quality American-made socks are sent straight to your loved one's door, featuring different designs and a personal note every month. From now until December 25th, Pop Culture Happy Hour listeners can get 15% off gift subscriptions with promo code CULTURE at SockClub.com. Give Sock Club this holiday season. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy
1: Hour. It's time for our favorite segment, What is Making Us Happy This Week. Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week?
2: Two movies. It is Oscar-cramming season, which means that uh, while things are still a little slow in my life, I'm trying to see as many of the likely-to-be-Oscar-nominated movies as possible, and one of those is Manchester by the Sea. Now, I say that uh, (laughs) Manchester by the Sea is making me happy. It's making me happy the way, like, a more yeah. made me happy. Yeah. It, is, it is bleak. It, it is grim. Uh, it was sold to me, I think, as even bleaker and grimmer than it was, which made it go down a little more smoothly. It is an acting clinic. There are two great performances in this movie that we will be hearing about a lot in the next couple months. Uh, Casey Affleck uh, in the starring role. Very unlikable character, but a wonderful, wonderful performance. And about three minutes of brilliant acting by Michelle Williams. We talked about this movie a little bit in the Toronto segment. I have seen it i liked it a lot it's a little tough to slog through but it's a good one uh the other one not not an oscars movie but a movie that the family sat down to enjoy recently my daughter loves japanese animation she loves horror and so my girlfriend katie thought that it would be time to share with her princess mononoke there we go which manages to combine Japanese animation with a lot of blood and a lot of incredibly strong female characters. It is a terrific movie. My daughter loved it. I had come to think, you know, over time, like, you're just... Even though you know this this body of work, your perception of it changes in, ter- in terms of the later movies. You know, I'd seen, like, the Arietti movie and Ponyo, mm-hmm. these kind of G-rated family movies. Seeing a really bloody horrific one was a nice reminder of just how versatile miyazaki's uh, incredible filmography is so princess mononoke
1: Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, what is making you happy this week?
4: Well, before I get to the happy, uh, let me just say a couple things I like. Here's a couple things I like, Linda Holmes. I like uh, the writing of Taffy Brodesser-Ackner. Yes. Whenever I see that byline, whether it's a celebrity profile or just an essay, I seek it it out. I also like, of an afternoon, uh, imagining to myself what the director and designer Tom Ford might be like. (laughs) Just how buttoned up and starchy and staunch and severe and judgy he might be. In my head, he's like that. Um, (laughs) Are you
5: dressed as you are now? That might be why. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's Tom Ford. Yeah.
4: In the December uh, 2016 issue of GQ magazine, Taffy Brodesser-Ackner interviews Tom Ford. and Let me just put it this way. Neither one of them disappoints. <laughs> oh boy! The name of this interview is Tom Ford on sex, death, and penetration. Let me read you a uh, an excerpt very briefly. <laughs> <It> pulls
2: out <laughs> several sheets of paper.
4: What? This is uh, this is a, a parenthetical break in the middle of this interview. This is Taffy Brodesser speaking. At one point, I asked Tom Ford if he owns sweatpants, and that did not go over well. He looked hard at me, trying to ascertain if I was kidding, and furrowed his brow. He has a great dermatologist, and despite some filler and some Botox, he has a full range of movement in his face. I looked at him with wide eyes and an expectant smile, and once he determined that I was serious, he said no in a way that made me not follow up. Then also, I mean really, no. And no, absolutely not. But Tom Ford is kind and doesn't want me to have a bad experience during this interview and so he concedes that he's a member of a tennis club in London that only permits its members to wear white, and yes, sometimes he does get into the car in this one pair of white sweatpants since it's required, but no one on the streets sees him because his driver pulls him right up to the club. This seamlessly transitions into a conversation about men should never ever wear shorts unless they are within very close proximity to a pool but literally like the deck of the pool, not the eating area. In the eating area, you pull yourself together and put on some pants, for Christ's sake. You're eating. Quote, it's a very American thing, that weird thing where you go to the Hamptons and people are in shorts, loafers, and blazers. No. Unquote.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy.
4: Uh Two things. Tom Ford is Tom Ford and all over the place, yeah. uh, exactly as I wanted him to. And, uh-huh. and B, he's right. Shorts are terrible.
1: <laughs> oh, for ben ben not wear shorts Surprise ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that coming.
4: So again, that twist is twist
1: ending. There's
4: also a, a video at the bottom of the page, if you go to the page online sure. of this thing where Tom Ford is is expatiating in a way that's just
1: Does great. it look like a liquor ad?
4: It does, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's everything it exactly. does
1: looks like a liquor so ad. So that
4: is again, that's in GQ magazine, the December issue, Tom Ford on sex, death and penetration.
1: This you made my you made my week there, Glenn. <laughs> Audie Cornish, what is making you happy this week? I'm bringing two podcasts
5: that I enjoy. Oh, wonderful. Um, and one is from BuzzFeed. Their podcast, Another Round, is mm-hmm. back. Um, the hosts, uh, Heaven Agatu and Tracy Clayton, do loads of interviews with kind of like, you know, writers and personalities and and politicians, famously Hillary Clinton. And I think the show really makes its mark with their interviewing style and the way they kind of coax people into conversation and looseness. And they're back with Janet Mock, the TV personality and transgender rights activist. And I saw on Twitter she was saying, it was one of the best interviews I've ever done. And, you know, full disclosure, I've been on their show and I felt the same way. Mm -hmm. Like talking to them just felt so dangerously easy. So another round BuzzFeed is back. The second one is from Gimlet. Gimlet. And it is a podcast called Homecoming. Now, I would just call this a radio drama, but I hear these days this is being called an experimental fiction, fiction podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, So, hat tip to Welcome Tonight. Bill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, depending on uh, what generation you are interested in belonging to, a thing that you hear in your ears that is fiction is back. It's from Gimlet. It's really contemporary in the way that it plays with what Glenn has called puzzle box kind of shows Mm -hmm. it's a mystery and they really hooked me with the cast Catherine Keener David Schwimmer Uh, and it's about this like mysterious program military program we think that's supposed to be helping combat veterans and appears to actually be spying on them here is a clip featuring Oscar Isaac he's speaking with one of his fellow vets and they are literally arguing about where they are
3: I definitely saw palm trees I saw that me too What does that mean? There's palm trees in Florida. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's palm trees in Florida. There's also palm trees in California, Cuba, and probably, oh, I don't know, Philippines, Lebanon.
1: Right, right. Okay, so what are you saying, dude? Nothing.
3: I'm just saying, I'm pointing out the only reason we think we're in Florida is because that's what they told us. That's the only reason we have to believe that. Okay, so if we're not in Florida, where are we? I don't know. That's my whole point. Why would they hide that from us? Oh, they're not hiding it. You're wrong, and we are in Florida. We're not. I'm telling you, I'm sure of that.
5: So you start off... Thinking, I'm not sure how to listen to this, right? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's you're overhearing conversations and what are the sounds of everyday life? You know, this isn't gun smoke, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like, what are the sounds of a military cafeteria today? What is the sound of a conspiracy theory? Yeah. And finally, I think that, you know, I often listen to podcasts as a solitary experience um, while I'm doing other things. I listen to it just the way I listen to the radio. And this is the first thing that made me want to listen to it with other people. Hmm. and in the same way I experience television sure and I I've only had the courage to do it with my husband so far. But yeah, it's a, it's a different experience to just kind of like sit in your living room and listen to a thing. And it made me think you know, it was like 1945 or something. Like I was sort of returning to a certain American experience. So yeah. homecoming from Gimlet.
1: Audie Cornish, thank you very much. Before I get to what's making me happy this week, I do want to address two things, one little and one uh, bigger from last week's show. The little one is that I said that the therapist on Gilmore Girls was on Bunheads. She was not. Uh, I mixed her up with someone else. The therapist was played by Carrie Butler, who's a Broadway actress, so apologies for that. The bigger thing is that last week when we talked about Moana, while trying to make a point about how the animation in the film sometimes is sort of only superficially different from the look of other Disney movies, our pal Margaret Willison used the expression, frozen with a tan. It's, of course, not a tan, should not have been compared to a tan. And that was a mistake on Margaret's part to say it. And it was a mistake on our part not to catch it. She asked me to pass along her apology uh, as soon as somebody pointed it out to her on Twitter and asked why she didn't say, for example, frozen on the beach. She knew it was a mistake. She was very contrite. So we are sorry about that. We hear you. I thank those of you who reached out to talk through it with us this weekend and with Margaret because that is how we learn stuff. So, So thanks for that. And we apologize. Making me happy this week, you know, we all in my head miss the Great British Bake Off, uh, which has undergone personnel changes. And, you know, Mel and Sue are not even going to be on the. It's been very sad. But ABC, which has been kind of fiddling around with uh, a version of it, uh, has just brought back their version of it, which is called The Great American Baking Show. And you know, I have to say they're getting there. It's uh, Nia Vardalos and her husband, Ian Gomez, are the kind of the hosts, the Melon Sioux. Mary Berry is there judging with uh, Johnny Uzzini, who is a pastry chef who also was on Top Chef Just Desserts. Yes, so mm-hmm. I knew him from that. I'm not going to say it's as good as the Great British Bake Off because it's not, right? But it scratches the itch a little bit. And the first two episodes, uh, as I tape this, the first two episodes have aired. By the time you hear it, I think another one will have. It's on Thursdays on ABC. You know, I think that the chemistry in a show like that is very mysterious. And, you know, it's difficult to land in a place where you're really getting what you want. But I do think that... They are approaching something that is absolutely good enough that it pleases me. It makes me happy. It makes me feel some of the same kind of feelings about nice people who are basically decent on a competitive show, which is something that American reality television does not always deliver in a way that's not over the top Cloying, mm-hmm. but it uh, it pleased me. It made me very happy. So that is what is making me happy this week. And before we go, we do want to uh, to mention, as uh, we mentioned this last week, we'll mention it again. If you are, if you like this show, if you like Code Switch, if you like the Politics Podcast, if you like Invisibilia, if you like the TED Radio Hour, if you like How I Built This, I'm trying to run through... All Songs Considered. All Songs Considered. We're running through a bunch of our podcasts. If you like the Book Concierge uh, on NPR.org, if you like the NPR Music you know, 50 uh, albums and 100 songs or yes. 50, 100 songs that are all di- really wonderfully designed digital projects, then the best way to support that stuff is to support your local station. And if you're doing that, we really, really appreciate it. That is how you support the public radio system. There are people who say to me, but I don't listen to your show on my local station. And I say to you, the microphone into which I'm speaking <laughs> right now is supported by your local station. Our producers were all trained on radio, which is supported by your local station. So believe me that if you are supporting Your local station You are supporting us We are really grateful My little trick last week Was end your contribution In 44 cents Because that's what I do Because in honor Of Studio 44 So uh, if you are doing that We appreciate it If you are not doing that Maybe consider starting Uh, It's a good move And it will make you feel Wonderful about all the Support that you're giving To projects That we hope you like And that brings us To the end of our show You can follow all of us On Twitter You can follow me At NPRmonkeyC You can follow Stephen At I Dislike Stephen You can follow Glenn At GHWell and Audi at NPR Audi. And if you want to follow Ari Shapiro, who turned into Audi Cornish, you can follow him at Ari Shapiro. You can follow our producer Jessica Reedy at Jessica underscore reedy and our producer emeritus and music director Mike Katziff at Mike Katzif K A T Z I F. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides our In and Out music, which you are bobbing your head to right now. So thanks to all of you guys for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening, and we will see you right back here next week.
2: Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour. Looking for a brainy laugh? Check out the Ask Me Another podcast for hilarious puzzles, word games, and trivia. Test your knowledge of favorite TV moms with Connie Britton. Stage superhero fights with Wyatt Cenac. And roll a 20-sided die with David Harbour from Stranger Things. Ask Me Another is like your favorite game night, but a whole lot funnier. Play along now on the NPR One app or at npr.org slash podcasts.